Welcome back to another episode of the Exploring the Blockchain podcast. Today, we are joined by, for our first in-person with Zane Merchant, right. co-host. Let's go. And Richard Zhang. Hello. Richard, can you tell us a little bit about what got you into the crypto space and who is Richard Zhang? Yeah, super nice uh, being here in this amazing space that IYA has at USC. Um, obviously, you two are Blockchain USC members, so always good seeing people like you making content, making contributions to the industry. Um, as a little bit of background information about myself, my name is Richard. I'm currently a senior at USC, double majoring in philosophy economics with a minor in computer programming. Uh, at USC, I've done a bunch of different things. I was the co-president of Spark SC, which is the premier entrepreneurship startup organization at USC. And now I'm the co-president of Blockchain, blockchain at USC, um, which is one of the leading, if not the leading organization in Southern California. Uh, we're really trying to empower the community. We're, I can talk a little bit about that later on as well. Uh, how I got in the industry is pretty interesting. Uh, I went back home one day uh, in China back in, during high school. Uh, I saw a bunch of Bitcoin books on my desk. Uh, even till this day, I wasn't really sure who was reading them. Maybe my dad, my, my mom, um, somebody in my family just started reading them. I read through a bunch of those books and I was like, wow, this is very interesting. And I really became a, a big Bitcoin fan in the very beginning. And obviously Ethereum came along. I would say I really started digging into the space around 2000, two, 2020, 2021. Uh, that, was, that was really when I started digging deep into it, besides just purchasing tokens. Cool. So maybe we can just start with, you can talk a little bit about the USC Blockchain Club, what you've done here, the importance of building a community on campus, and what you hope to accomplish with the club. Definitely. I think when it comes to really new and emerging markets, it's very important for communities to form. Um, because we're still kind of, crypto is still very new today, if you think about it. We're, we're still at that beginning, like, 1997 internet age, if we're trying to draw this analogy, right? So it's very important for us to form communities where people can learn from each other. Uh, builders are with each other and talking with each other, communicating all the time. So what Blockchain USC essentially does is we want to create a community where people are consistently building, um, learning about the space, uh, and doing research, so Blockchain USC, we have six different teams ranging from research, education, content, community, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and what we're doing is we want to make blockchain as accessible as possible for not only USC students, but people around the area, like UCLA, Claremont McKenna, Caltech, schools like that. And for our research teams, these teams do more advanced topics, right? We have teams ranging from infrastructure, DeFi, NFTs, DAOs, we have a metaverse team before as well. And we consistently pump out research articles for people to read. And also we think this is a good experience for our research members to get deeper and get hands-on within the space. And I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, no, I highly recommend if you're at USC or if you're just around the SoCal community, uh, look at what USC blockchain has to offer. We're doing some of the cool research papers, um, other great events if you're in the area. Um, one question for you is if someone's watching this, doesn't know much about crypto, where should they look? Where should they learn? You said you originally learned by books, but what's the best way to learn? Yeah, I think I actually have a pretty interesting background where I'm not a CS major, right? When a lot of people look at crypto and blockchain, they will think, oh, it's a bunch of cryptography, right? It's literally in the name, it's in crypto. Um, and they'll think it's a lot of coding and it can be very scary. And it was in the beginning when I was first started to learn, reading all the white papers and stuff like that. But one thing that I really try to emphasize with people when they are just getting into the space is I want them to look at it from a non-technical product perspective first, right? 
look at what blockchain can enable. The decentralization, the transparency, the openness, the global connectedness, et cetera, et cetera. These are all aspects that they can look at and get excited by. When you go dive straight into white papers, a lot of these white paper writers, they will go straight into the technical details, which can be a little bit unfriendly for non-technical people. So when my friends and people of the blockchain community come to me today and ask me about how they should learn the blockchain space, I often refer them into reading some overviews first of those different protocols and projects happening, right? So a good platform that they can go on is CoinMarketCap. CoinMarketCap is one of the aggregators for when you check prices, the major tokens uh, around the world. Oftentimes, CoinMarketCap has employees writing overviews uh, of those different tokens. You can click on those tokens, so scroll down a little bit, and you'll see those overviews. I recommend very beginners to read those, and I recommend them to search, look up Medium articles uh, around those different projects. Sometimes those Medium articles can break down those technical concepts down really well. And if you're really trying to make it interesting for yourself, let's say like you're eating lunch or eating dinner, you're just having fun with some of your friends, go watch a YouTube video somewhere, right? YouTube videos, just be, be cautious that some of these YouTube videos may have wrong information because these are secondary sources, right? And some of these YouTube channels, they can and understand the technology side wrong as well. They're not perfect human beings and we don't blame them for that. But at the same time, that's a good way for you to just increase some interest within the space and to learn something while you're doing something else. Yeah. And I think what you mentioned is important, which is actually understand the broader, understanding the broader implications of blockchain. Even sometimes the most technical people, they know the technical stuff, but when you ask them, what's the actual application here or what am I building for? They don't really know the answer to that. So that's really important. Yeah. And I want to add one thing to that. Um, I also really like, I've, I really thought you were going to say Twitter because every, like a lot of people when I ask this question, they say, I learned from Twitter, like it's about like following the right people. I learned like watch a lot of like random YouTube videos and I did go on like coin market cap to learn a couple, like what's the biggest, what's the price movement. Um, how do you think like the price of crypto like causes people like, how does that impact the building in the space? Yeah, I think that's a great question. And just going back to that Twitter point earlier, I intentionally left Twitter out, <laughs> right? Because Twitter is not that friendly for beginners. When you're a beginner, you let's say you just started a Twitter account, you have zero following. Who the heck do you follow, right? right. That's a very unfriendly, unwelcoming space. And people are talking about very technical things on there. Obviously, I look at Twitter for hours at a time every day now. But when you're just beginning, you know, you don't know who to follow. So eventually you get a Twitter. But in the beginning, you know, you can slowly build into your following. And back to your point about uh, the, the correlation between building and prices. I think I have a philosophy that builders build no matter the prices, right? If we look at crypto today, some of the biggest companies are, came out of the bear market, right? <coughs> and the reason why for that, I think there, there are different reasons. One of the biggest reasons that I'm a big fan of is that during the bear market, a lot of narratives get tested, right? And you see a lot of narratives dying down. And this is when companies are truly testing their own products, testing their own theses. When, because when you're a startup, essentially a startup is a mix of hypotheses and theses about the space and about your users and about their needs, of course. So when a bear market comes, the noise dies down. This is when builders are really tested and faced with decisions regarding what to kill, what features to kill, and what features to build. And there's a lot less noise within the market, right? People are less concerned about the prices, the, all the things that are going on. So, and the only thing you can do is to build. 
So when it comes to the correlation between builders and 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 token prices, I think the best builders are always building, and they're especially building in the bear. And this is a good signal for investors as well. And this is why it's, it might be counterintuitive for people who are new to investing. But investing, especially in crypto, during the bear market is the best best time to invest, especially for private markets, right? When valuations are, are down, the best builders are building, less signals. So you know for a fact that people who are pitching to you during a bear market, they're most likely going to be people who are believers right. in the space. Yeah. So I think builders build no matter what, and people shouldn't care too much about token prices if you're actually trying to found something within the space. Yeah. So maybe we can talk a little bit about in, in the private markets and the traditional Web2 markets, venture capital plays a huge role. And I think you've kind of touched on a little bit about venture capital. Maybe you can talk a little bit about what role you see with venture capital in the Web3 and the crypto world. Is it the same thing? Are companies always looking to get funded? Um, and maybe you can also touch a little bit about Dragonfly Capital and what you guys do there. Definitely. I think it's important to have critical thinking over venture capital as activity and as a form of financial investment, especially within crypto. When a lot of these tokens have governance rights, right? You get these tokens, you can participate in governance. So it is important to be critical of like the, the venture capital's role within crypto. However, if we dig deeper within venture capital as an activity, as a financial instrument, we find that venture capital enables a lot of startups to build efficiently and for more startups to survive. Right. Right. If I remember this correctly, venture capital was invented, the model was invented around 1970s and 1980s. There were, there were a couple of like godfathers of venture capital uh, around the world. Before that, startups had to actually have positive cash flow in order to grow, or they had to take on debt in order to grow. Right? But when venture capital came in, you have startups who may not reach profitability, may not have users, may not have revenue. But what venture capital allows is for these early startups to test out their hypotheses and to test out their beta process, see if it actually works. And I think the same case is especially true in new emerging industries like crypto, right? Crypto in crypto right now, we're still testing out a lot of spaces and hypotheses within the space. What is going to work? What is not going to work? Right. And a lot of venture capitalists, they can come in and support those startups to actually do the things that they like. Though I do have to say the most socially conscious venture capital firms, they're very they're, they pay a lot of attention to not controlling too much of the tokens, right? What we see a lot of companies doing today is they raise both equity and tokens, if not a full equity deal. And I've seen like venture capital firms, the most so responsible, socially conscious ones like Dragonfly, they're very conscious about not taking up too much of the governance rights to leave it for the founders and the community. And those are the venture capital investors that we should model after. Right. Instead of trying to centralize everything, because right. again, crypto is about decentralization. So there's a very intricate push and pull here that we need to handle. Yeah, I'm really glad you touched on that aspect of crypto, especially the role of VCs, because a lot of the ethos behind crypto is this idea of decentralization. And if profit-seeking venture capital firms join the picture and are running the governance, is that really like different than what we have now? Um, on that point, uh, for Dragonfly Capital, is there any specific like sector or category that you're particularly excited about or you guys look for? Yeah, so Dragonfly actually started back in um, late 2018, early 2019. It's seen a, bunch, a, a few cycles already. 
Um, and they started out really investing in infrastructure and DeFi. Um, but when I joined, Dragonfly was trying to expand into more sectors. I had amazing mentors there. Um, I worked with some of the brightest people within the space. I have nothing but great things to say about Dragonfly. Uh, so I will say that Dragonfly invests across the board within crypto. Um, you know, now it's investing in DeFi infrastructure. As I mentioned, we also went into GameFi. We into a creator economy, uh, DAOs, NFT platforms, et cetera, et cetera. I think these are um, very important sectors for us to explore. And as venture capitalists, it actually aligns with the incentives to take those risks um, because of that's just the nature of venture capital. Um, so for me, I was focused on uh, areas like GameFi, creator economy, DAOs, NFTs. Uh, we at one point we're looking at a bunch of metaverses as well. But obviously a lot of these concepts are being tested today, again, as they should during the bear market. And this, I, I, I can argue that this is a good period of time for crypto to actually do a lot of self-reflection and see what are the real sustainability, sustainable plays within crypto that we can uh, provide for the world. Uh, instead of just doing a bull market, it's all hype. People are just playing with the tokens. Um, so this is a good, good time to really reflect. So is there a particular use case that you personally are really excited for? You talk a little bit about sustainability. Is there something you're really excited about? I'm really excited about crypto's role in emerging markets. Cool. Talk right? a little bit about so that. Yeah. With, within the world today, we, we live in the U.S. right now. And I come from uh, China, which is also a pretty established economy. But within the world today, there's still many countries with, with not that mature of a fiat system. Right? There's high inflation poor credit systems. What crypto enables is that it can onboard a lot of people from emerging markets with poor fiat structures into a globally open and transparent financial system. Now we're seeing a lot of plays within emerging markets, there are more centralized exchanges popping up today where people are onboarding, you know, we call this on-ramp, the on-ramp process. We're on-ramping a lot of people within the, into crypto from emerging markets, and we're hoping that we can bring them into this global financial space. Now, there's also a lot of questions here, right? Especially from the VC perspective, who is going to take over emerging markets? Or is it these emerging companies that specialize in each region? Or is it going to be bigger players like Binance, FTX, Coinbase that are going to uh, tackle these emerging markets and really get that market share. That's an argument I think many people are arguing about today. Um, I think there is an argument to be made for the different geographic advantages that these specialized centralized exchanges actually have. And I actually take a lot of this inspiration from looking at emerging markets in traditional Web2 economies. Right? If you just look at um, Uber and how they uh, competed with, with Didi back in China, you know, DD had a huge advantage within that emerging market. Obviously, crypto is different from Web2, but there are some lessons to be learned here. But I'm very open to years and different opinions when it comes to this space as well. Uh, you mentioned emerging markets. We've seen countries like El Salvador adopt Bitcoin. Um, we think that more are going to do that in the future. Um, we have seen like that a lot of people in El Salvador have not really been using Bitcoin. Um, do you see people in these emerging markets, like, are they actually going to use this if they see the volatility? Um, yeah. I think with the volatility today, it's a hard argument and a hard pitch for them to actually use it. Obviously, El Salvador is taking a big hit in this bear market. We see these headlines going everywhere, right? But what I do see in the future 
is that when more applications within Web3 pop up, there will be more of a pitch and incentive for users and regular citizens who actually start adopting these tokens. Because, in, because right now, when you have Bitcoin, what can you do with it, right? It's mostly trading and mostly financial activities. You can't really go into a store to buy things. You can't really get it for physical goods of value, right? But in the future, when there's more applications and utility for these tokens, there's more of an incentive for people to actually start adopting it. Right. One of the critiques that I see a lot of people make about using something like Bitcoin in an in, emerging market is that even if they acquire the Bitcoin, they still have to transfer it to their local fiat currency for it to be useful. Mm-hmm. So what you're saying is the idea is this cryptocurrency is actually going to be useful in these countries. They can go to a grocery store and they can purchase something or they can use it for whatever other application that is there. But the, the idea is there's actually going to be some inherent value to it. Exactly. I think we have to, though, we have to be mindful of the fact that we're still very new. We're a very new emerging mar- market, right? We're still trying to figure out the core infrastructure side, right? We just went through the merge. There's, we're still trying to figure out interoperability, right? What does it mean to build on a multi-chain world? So when we're still trying to figure out the protocol layer, we need to give have more patience when it comes to yeah. what really happens on top of the infrastructure, right? So if we really think for ourselves, if we're going to start a decentralized application today, what kind of infrastructure should we build on? If, if founders are still thinking about questions like that, we need to give ourselves more time before actual utility comes in. And there's obviously a lot of speculation going on, but we actually need to, I think I'm a big proponent for actually building things of value. I think builders really need to think about what is the actual utility I'm bringing to the world with this new technology. We shouldn't build for the sake of using blockchain, but we should leverage blockchain to actually build things of useful things. Yeah, that's re- that's a really important point. Like, you can't just slap Web three on a project and then think it's worth twenty billion twenty million dollars. Um, in terms of applications today, is there anything that like? we should get excited about or look for? Because I know like I get asked, um, like what applications, what good is like crypto doing right now? And I'm like, I don't know of any that I feel are like making a big impact right now. I know some like there's some great use cases in the future, but is there anything right now or we should look forward to in the next couple of years? Yeah, I think crypto is a very good utility for controlling your identity, right? I know there's a lot of different identity protocols and products coming out in the space today. Um, They're all you know, there are a lot of founders building this space, but this is still a space yet to be figured out. And what I mean by that is blockchain enables users very uniquely to control what you want to give for the world and what you want to retain for yourself, right? Within blockchain, because everything is on the blockchain, your data is very, it's just, it's there. But what you do with that data is, is up to you, right? There's, you, that, that, that information is attached to your wallet, right? So you can sign things when you wanna let other people use your data, or you can sign things when you want to allow other people to do certain actions, right? And across these different applications, for example, DeFi, GameFi, you can start building up a reputation for yourself, right? Are you a good gamer? Are you a good trader? It's, questions like that can all be attached to your profile. And what you do with that identity is extremely powerful. I am seeing a lot of different DID solutions and identity protocols coming up today, but we have really yet to figure out how this is really gonna play out. And I'll tell you one thing, if, if there's anybody in crypto that's gonna say to you, I know exactly how crypto is gonna go, they probably don't know what they're talking about. So the, the philosophy I'm taking when it comes to identities is, I am I'm ready to be an active contributor and also user to the space, but I am keeping my mind open in terms of how the market is actually gonna shape 
and how people are actually going to start using this type of product. Right. So what you're saying in terms of identity management is today you log into something like Facebook, they basically control your data, right? Mm -hmm. But in this new world, what we're saying is I control my data and then I have this one wallet that I can use across a variety of services and I can individually sign up my data to whoever I choose. Is mm -hmm. that the idea? Yeah. And, you know, you, you, they can pr offer different services that you can agree or not agree to partake in, right? You can agree to sign up for a competition within the game, for example. You can agree to um, sign up for a trading competition. Like, there's so many different examples that we can think of here um, that, that gives you a lot of control for what you, what you do. Obviously, within crypto right now, we're still, there's a lot of hot startups within data analytics. Yes. But I think like, those data analytics platforms, they're very valuable. But again, they're still in the trading side of things, right? They're still within the speculation side of things. They will start analyzing very valuable data when there's more utility and actual applications on the blockchain coming up in the future. But right now, I think what, what I'm personally really excited about is what kind of future applications there will be. Um, within this space and this bear market is a very good time to do so uh one question about like the importance of community in the blockchain space so there's DAOs, there's all these like gamefi you mentioned in which community is like one of the most important aspects in getting people on board in many of these projects what is the importance of community in these projects i think community is very important when it comes to governance to participation um, and crypto is very unique in the fact that your community members become your stakeholders. And this is, this can be very theoretically very good, I think, if handled the right way, right? We don't want people just shilling things for the sake of shilling things, for the sake of their token prices going up. But at the same time, I think there is actual buy-in into the community from your members. Like, I know a lot of people are talking about DAOs today. That's a huge, very hot topic, right? I think personally speaking, DAOs today are extremely immature, right? They're, we're not at a space yet to say, oh, DAOs are providing a lot of utility for people, are providing, are going to provide sustainable utility for people. However, I also would argue that we're not at a point where we can completely deny the future of DAOs yet, right? I think for DAOs to actually work, we need to design very good and comprehensive voting mechanisms. Right. We need voting mechanism beyond just based on how many tokens you hold, right? Beyond just you know, how, how long you've stayed in the protocol. I think voting and DAOs will be very interesting once we actually tie your identity and your contributions to each community into the voting mechanism itself. So I can think of an example where, let's say as a community, you are thinking of accomplishing certain goals you are a, a, essentially a product trying to accomplish certain actions. And let's say you, Josh, are an extremely beneficial member of the community and me, Richard, is, is a terrible member, right? So I think it, it makes sense for Josh to actually have more of a say when you have put in more time, when you put in more effort, when you've accomplished more bounties, right? That bounty is a huge in DAOs today than someone like me who is just sitting around, who's not doing much for the community, even if I may have a lot of tokens. I think DAOs may be interesting if we actually incorporate those voting mechanisms into the entire ecosystem, but we're, we still need a lot of talent to actually design that type of stuff. Though I'm, I, I'm hesitant to completely reject the future of DAOs at this point. I know that that might be a controversial or, or hot take. Yeah, I mean, we've talked about this on the podcast before, which is now a lot of DAOs Tokens are the idea of tokens is just that they're freely tradable and they're, they're, they're they can be used for governance. So if you have more money, you can just buy more tokens 
which means I control more, mm -hmm. right? Which is a big problem. So coming up with better voting mechanisms is extremely important yeah. and is, is the future to ensuring yeah. DAOs are successful. Though I have heard, I, I do agree with what uh, Olaf from Polychain have said before um, in one of his talks, where he said it's, it's becoming increasingly clear that companies, it doesn't really make sense for companies to become DAOs. Because when you're a company, you're making thousands of decisions every week, if not every day, right? So it's very inefficient for you as a company to run as a DAO when all of that voting is, you know, controlling everything. However, I would argue that it might be interesting. It just might be interesting if you set up a voting, voting uh, mechanism within the company where the day-to-day -day operations are still decided by the team itself. But when it comes to very big decisions, when it comes to, let's say, like when you're handling a, uh, your treasury decisions over a certain amount of money or tokens, right? You can set in rules in play where when it comes to big financial decisions, that will be put into a DAO voting mechanism to actually make decisions on that front. Um, but when it comes to day-to-day -day operations, it's very inefficient to actually run a DAO that way. Uh, one more thing. Um, in the, like a lot of the things we've talked about are in the future. When do you think realistically, obviously we all don't know, but like when do you think we'll see a lot of these applications and further production of like real use cases? I think uh, I read somewhere a, uh, a few weeks ago where uh, it, the author said that it's very futile to predict anything 10 years in the future, right? I am definitely uh, hoping that a lot of this utility will come before the 10 years mark. And I think it will. Um, though I think before we actually start seeing any utility till that time, it's going to take at least two to three more years till we actually see really high utility. Like I'll give you an example. When it comes to GameFi, right? It usually takes many, many years for GameFi to take out. Let's just, for example, GTA, right? The new GTA has taken what? More than 10 years to develop now. A uh, couple days ago, they somebody leaked game footage of GTA on Twitter and you know, the whole community popped off. But, you know, when it comes to actual utility of goods and products, it takes years to develop. So we need to give a lot of patience for these builders to actually build. But at the same time, we need to be mindful as, as people, as investors, as people in the space, or as future builders ourselves, because we're all thinking about building things. We need to actually have a long-term horizon. We need to have a long-term vision for the space. So I think it's, it's going to take two or three more years for a lot of, actual utility to come up. I'm not saying there's no utility today. There is some utility today, like DeFi, right? But there's going to be even more utility in the future in two to three years time. Cool, that fantastic responses so far. We're gonna close out this podcast um, with a new segment we're starting where we pull tweets uh, from our guests and we just ask them to explain more context, give us a bigger picture and see maybe if you've learned anything since you've tweeted this. So the first tweet is, tokenized carbon credits platforms are the college tutor matching websites for Web3. Every day you're just like, another one? So what does this mean? Is this still true today? And what is up with tokenized carbon credits platforms? This is very uh, funny because I don't actually tweet that much. Uh, I always felt pretty uncomfortable shouting something into the world, but that's one of my tweets I really wanted to say because, you know, let's talk about peer tutoring platforms first because that's a part of the tweet. For peer tutoring platforms, every semester, you know, USC is a very entrepreneurial school. There's a lot of founders building stuff all the time. I love that aspect of USC. But every semester I see at least one group trying to make a peer tutor matching platform. Yeah. Right? And this is the, the, a similar case that's happening in crypto today. 
right? Every few weeks, every other week, I will see a new carbon credits platform popping up using crypto, tokenizing carbon credits. This is especially hard when carbon credits, if you think about it, is very off chain. And there's a lot of double counting going on. So if you really dive deep into the carbon credits market, you'll realize that there's a lot of double counting, there's a lot of miscalculations, there's a lot of things happening off chain that you cannot control on chain, right? So yeah, exactly. So when when we're still as a space, when we're still struggling with on-chain stuff, just pure on-chain stuff, is really hard. I think it's maybe too early to all of a sudden bring a lot of off-chain stuff on-chain, right? Obviously there's oracles, there's also decentralized oracles coming up today, but I think it still might be a little too early to all of a sudden introduce a lot of off-chain elements to on-chain products. Um, and I think we do need a, f- a little more time. I'm not saying that that's not doable, but I think we need a little bit more time before we do that. Yeah. All right. Next one. Two out of three so far. So this is the second one. Has anyone seen projects at the intersection of blockchain and energy slash electricity? Have you seen any since tweeting, the, tweeting these and do they have any potential? I got a few replies on that. Um, and most of them were not prominent projects. Uh, I, I saw one that was tokenizing, if I remember this correctly, tokenizing certain aspects of utility companies um, or, or a sharing a, a sh- energy sharing model through tokenization. Though I have to say the, the conclusion that I arrived, because I tweeted this a, a while ago, the conclusion that I arrived at was that there's not a lot of prominent tokenizing uh, models for energy. And the reason why I'm really interested in, in, in that particular area is I also think that climate change is one of the greatest challenges for our generation. Um, and I think, you know, time has proven again and again that we cannot rely on pure charity and goodwill for, for our generation, for our world to solve climate change, right? Charity and goodwill are extremely good and I promote them, but we, we as a world cannot only rely on those two elements to solve climate change. So I'm constantly thinking about how do we really incentivize protecting the climate? And can crypto be a part of that? That's an open question. I invite the audience to discuss further with me. I am actively thinking of ways to build within the space as well. So open to ideas, open to suggestions. Um, really excited about the space in general. Cool. And then last one, we need to figure out content moderation in Web3. Any innovative solutions so far? This is super interesting to me. Content moderation is a huge problem today that is constantly under debate. What do you think about content moderation in Web3? I think content moderation, when a lot of crypto native people hear this word, they may um, raise a lot of concerns or opposition immediately, right? Because crypto is about uh, transparency, about permanence, about decentralization. But however, I, I want to argue that for a lot of content in crypto, for crypto to actually reach mass adoption, we need to figure out content moderation, right? We cannot have very problematic content and images or videos, whatever you think of it, to be permanently stored on chain. But however, I also am a big opposer of doing content moderation in a centralized way. We should not give this content moderation, which is a huge power and control of the space, to only a few entities if, or, or even one entity to decide. So how do we do content moderation in a decentralized way? I don't think anybody has figured that out yet. At least I have not seen any really polished solutions. So I'm actually really excited about you know, if, if there is, is there an opportunity for us to figure out content moderation protocol that can do this across dApps, across chains, across infrastructures, and 
can we really decentralize incentives for good content, for good-willed content, and incentivize the deletion and detection process of bad content? This is extremely difficult. This ex- it can be extremely controversial. This entire process can be very, very controversial, but it's very important for us to figure out the space. Great. I agree. The First Amendment, everybody has different different views on what people should say. You know, Twitter has their own issues with what they allow, what they don't allow, but every big media does. So we'll see if Web3 can help that in any way. One last question, and then we'll wrap up here. I wanted to know, like, you interact with a ton of people in the community in the Web3 space. I think there's a big diversity problem in the Web3 space. It's heavily male and you, you kind of like, can you tell us a little more about like how we bring more diversity to this space? I think as a community builder myself, I'm, I'm currently building the blockchain USC community. Um, I actively try to increase representation, right? When we go to conferences today, it's mostly male, white or Asian, right? I think that's kind of the, the demographic of, of crypto today. How we can make that better is we ourselves need to be hyper-conscious about how to make this place more welcoming. Are we telling inappropriate jokes? Are we saying things or are we writing things or are we tweeting things even that are that may come off as unwelcoming for different groups, for people who we want to invite to? And I'm, as an as a event, I coordinate a lot of events. I, I bring a lot of communities together. I also do a lot of research in the space myself. I want to increase representation within everything that I do. Right? When I host a, a conference, for example, am I inviting, at least trying my best to invite someone who's not a male, who's not white, who's not Asian, to come talk about their experiences, right? I'm also hyper aware of like their own backgrounds. Did you work in tech before, right? I actually, I think it might be very interesting for the audience to hear someone who comes from a very, a more diverse background. I think when, when we increase representation in Web3, it not only makes the entire community benefit from diverse opinions, we can also make better products. Because I'm a huge believer that you need to be who you're trying to serve, right? Your company needs to be who you're trying to serve. If we're really trying to reach mass adoption, we need to make sure our community members represent that. We cannot just be one single identity when we're trying to serve multiple a myriad of identities. So that's very important for, for me to keep keep a, a mind on, my mind on. And I, I vouch for other people to also focus on that as well. Fantastic. That makes a lot of sense. Thank you so much for, for being here. If anyone has any solutions on climate change or figuring out content moderation in Web3, please tweet at Richard. Other than that, thank you so much to Richard for being here and we'll close it out here. Definitely. Thank you so much. You can reach me on my Twitter at Richard F. Jong. Um, I'm always open to, to conversations and, and talks. Cool. Thank you guys.